miss the show, no problem on point and on the program. The writ drops any day now, but why are we going to the polls? What is the ballot box issue? And could not having an issue blow up in Justin Trudeau's face? Daryl Bricker talks about the risks of a non-issue election and where it can take us. A top military official is going back to the top job after the military clears him of sexual misconduct. The government could have stopped the military from investigating itself, but here we are in 2021 where there will never be real confidence for anyone who comes forward as long as this is done behind the veil of the military. And the appeasement strategy this government uses with China is not working. There's a lot that the Trudeau government can do. The question is, why aren't they doing it? Let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Canada condemns in the strongest possible terms. Mr. Spavor's unjust conviction after more than two and a half years of arbitrary detention. My thoughts and the thoughts of all Canadians are with Mr. Spavor and his family during this extremely difficult time. This decision was made after a process that lacked both fairness and transparency, including a trial that did not satisfy the minimum standards required by international law. Talk about walking softly and carrying a limp noodle. Oh, it's time this government grew a pair. Alex Pearson with you on this Wednesday, August 11th, cruising to the mid-month. It is going fast. It's great to have you here on what is a very hot and sticky day. Today was actually one of those days where, I, you know, when you wake up and you just think, oh, God, please, I just want to go back to bed. Because everything went sideways from, like, the second I got up, mainly because uh, my dog, Butter, been a little off these last couple of days. So she's, she's been walking a little wonky. And so I uh, took her to the vet, which then turned into having to race her over to the emergency vet for an MRI, you know, see or whatever their technology to see if it's something more serious. And, uh, and COVID has just made doing what used to be very straightforward, just such a severe headache. So it was just one of those days of completely unexpected racing around to make sure she's okay while chasing this news that never stops. The good news is she should be okay. Doctor called right before the show. The bad news is uh, the bill may actually send me to a hospital because uh, vet care is expensive. She's got better health care. These animals have better health care than we do. Next time I get sick, I'm going to the emergency vet clinic. All righty, so we now know that um, Michael Spavor is going to be jailed 11 years before being deported. That is, of course, assuming that the Chinese government does not change its mind and increase that sentence. It did that to Robin uh, Robert Schellenberg. He, he was initially sentenced to 15 years for trafficking drugs, but then China said, nah, you face death. How they roll. That's how the Chinese government rolls. And I suspect both Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig's ultimate fate will depend if a BC court allows for Meng Wanzhou to be extradited to the United States. I mean, aside from all the other massive human rights atrocities China is committing, and that it's a very clear threat to this country, the unjust torture of these two Michaels should enrage every Canadian. It should enrage the Prime Minister, Mark Garneau, who could barely wag his finger, and yet we're hearing yet another meek response from this government. Trudeau sent out a, a statement today, 
which read, and I'm going to read you the strongest part of it. China's conviction and sentencing of Michael Spavor is absolutely unacceptable and unjust. That'll show them getting tough, right? Jeez, I read that and I went, really? Is there a second draft? Because Canadians want Trudeau and this country to get tough with this global threat. Our allies want us to get tough. And the Trudeau government just continues with this meek strategy of, I'm going to wag my finger. We condemn this. And the late Theo Roosevelt once said, walk softly and carry a big stick and you will go far. It's pretty much how he saw diplomacy. You attempt peaceful negotiations, try to do things nicely, but always be prepared for a fight. And no, no one expects that Trudeau's going to carry any kind of big stick, but we're not even bothering to stand up. And I know a lot of people will shrug their shoulders and say, well, what are we going to do? What, what can we do? We're just Canada. There's a lot we can do. There's a lot we already should have been doing. Yes, Trudeau's right to stay out of the court matters. He must be seen upholding our rule of law. I know it's tough for him, but that's the right thing to do. But no matter what the judge decides for this Huawei princess, and there is plenty of evidence to support her being handed to the United States, David Lametti, the justice minister, will ultimately have the last say if she is sent back to China. So the question becomes, you know, will Trudeau and his government have the cojones to respect this court's decision? You know, will they respect our extradition laws or will they do a hostage exchange? Because that's dangerous and it will just encourage more of this behavior and it's going to certainly piss off our allies. So time will tell on that because a lot of people will say, well, just get rid of her. None. We have agreements with other countries. We can't just hand these people over. We burn bridges that way. So here's what we can do right now in response to China's latest aggression. First and foremost, ban Huawei. Trudeau said that a decision would be announced after the last election. That was two years ago. What the hell's the holdup? What is the holdup? We don't want your Huawei. By the way, get it off our hockey night in Canada. Don't want it. Goodbye. So he could have done that. Could have said, here's our decision. We'd be right in line with our allies. We can act uh, Magnitsky sanctions immediately. I mean, there's plenty of justification. Other than the Michaels, I mean, to punish the Chinese authorities, you could do it on the grounds of what they're doing to the one million jailed Uyghur Muslims. So there's lots of things we could do with that. Find a way to revoke Meng Wanzhou's bail conditions. Why the hell does she get to spritz around in her heels and shop and lunch with the ladies and travel around her two or three mansions? I mean, surely there might be grounds to argue she's a flight risk, no? Trudeau had no issue meddling in SNC. Why stop now? To put a moratorium on Chinese nationals from coming to Canadian universities. I mean, it will cost us, yes, it's $4 billion in university tuitions, but it sends a message. You don't want to punish the Chinese people, but you want to send a message absolutely to the Chinese government. I'd kick out China's ambassador to Canada, who's been given free license to spew his propaganda and deliver veiled threats against Canadians while on Canadian soil, completely unchallenged. I will happily chip in for Kong Pui's one-way ticket home. Bye. Boycott the 2022 Beijing Games. Games immediately. 
Who cares if we're the only ones doing it? It is the right thing to do, and I bet other countries will follow. And we should have been doing this years ago, but expand trade immediately to other Asian economies. Renew ties with India. Apologize profusely for being such a boob in those costumes. But we could have gotten new trade relations since that offensive trip, but nothing. They haven't even looked up the, the phone other than to say, Do you have more vaccines? We've done nothing to diversify trade. And so we stay reliant on China. We should be bringing back manufacturing to Canada and wean our, in, you know, our dependence on this crappy, cheap Chinese goods. We can right or wrong done to Hong Kong and declare our solidarity to Taiwan and build a coalition of our allies to stand in solidarity. Any one of these actions would be more than we're doing now. Any one of these things would be something that we should have done a long, long time ago when China made clear it was a thug regime. Doing any one of these things would have sent a signal to China that we are not the wimps Trudeau has made us. I mean, if ever he needed an excuse to change his appeasement approach to China, and I've given a very long list he can choose from, it is long past due for Trudeau to park his admiration for this regime and show China he has a stick and he'll use it. All right, great to have you here on this very busy Wednesday. So we're told that the writ could drop any time between Friday through Sunday, unless, of course, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has some kind of epiphany and pulls the plug at the last minute. But, you know, normally when we would head to the polls, we know what the issue is, and it's generally pocketbook issues. But what is the justification for an election? Very few Canadians have an appetite for. What is the ballot box question? If you ask me, it should be who can get us out of this mess best. And given the Trudeau's government foot dragging and complete lack of preparedness when this whole thing started, why should they be trusted to fix it? But since there is no ballot box issue and I don't write the questions, does this then leave Trudeau at risk of a narrative that he took to Canadians to the polls during a wave four? because of his ego. Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, author of several books, including his latest Next, Where to Live, What to Buy, and Who Will Lead Canada's Future, likely a book a lot of Canadians should pick up before they vote, uh, joins me now. Good to have you, Daryl. Thanks for having me on, Alex. All right. Normally, this should be a slow time for you guys, but uh, you as a pollster are probably working you know, 24-7 trying to kind of get a pulse on, on Canadians. And I want to engage a couple of issues with you. So you had talked about this being the election of me. I mean, there's just no real issue. How problematic is that for Trudeau? Well, it could be problematic because one thing we know about campaigns is they abhor a vacuum. Yeah. And this election will, be, become, about, will become about something. So the question is, what will it be, become about? I mean, the prime minister will obviously uh, have something that he'll say from the, the podium at Rideau Hall when he steps out from speaking with the governor general. Uh, but the question is whether or not Canadians will actually see that as the ballot question. And, uh, you know, uh, we've seen many times in the past when uh, the, the best laid plans uh, kind of mm -hmm. uh, get, get uh, 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 destroyed by public expectations and events. So unless there's a really clear reason uh, driving this election campaign, which there doesn't appear to be at the moment, then there's the potential here for something else to emerge as the uh, as the ballot question. 
Yeah, I mean, um, Mr. Uh, Harper could probably tell uh, Mr. Trudeau, you know, some of the landmines he stepped on. You know, they thought that having a long campaign would actually be uh, an advantage to the Harper government. And what it did was actually allow uh, Justin Trudeau to get on his feet and show himself off. And that was a problem uh, which caused, uh, in many ways, Mr. Harper to, to, to lose, albeit foreign affairs also came into play during that election with the whole issue of Syria. Um, when I let me ask you about the Michaels. This rears its head at a time when the extradition hearing is now underway with Meng Wanzhou. Uh, we now know Michael Spavor is going to be spending 11 years in jail at least. How problematic do the two Michaels and the issue with China become to Mr. Trudeau for this election? Well, I think what happens during the course of the election, if there's something uh, that occurs specifically uh, related to uh, these two unfortunate Canadians in this difficult situation in China, that people can really understand, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, and the government does nothing but, you know, sort of this performative stuff that governments that really don't have any power vis-a-vis China are forced to do. Uh, that could become a bit of a, a bit of an issue for them. But the truth is Canadians have been, and unfortunately the, 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 the two Michaels have been living with this for a number of years now. So it's not like it's a new issue that's just emerged. Right. Yeah, albeit Canadians are very much are um, knowledgeable about that and polling, including stuff that you have done, shows that Canada's view on China has certainly changed over the years and it's not as not it's not favorable at all um, with China. And so I guess it just depends on if something happens uh, during during the election campaign. But pocketbook issues generally, Daryl take the front position. People can talk about climate change. People can talk about all these other, you know, kind of fringe issues, but it always comes down to dollars and cents and what you can put in my pocket. And so I think a lot of people will be saying, who's got the, who's got the recovery plan? uh, On the last uh, poll that we did for global, we looked at, um, we looked at uh, what people thought would be the big issues and who they thought would do the best job if they were elected on delivering these two issues or on these issues. And the, the two that relate to the economy, so what I call big E economics, so you know growth and interest rates and all that kind of stuff, uh, the Conservatives have an eight-point lead over the Liberals. And uh, the NDP lead the, uh, uh, the, the, um, the Liberal Party at the moment on what I would call kitchen table economics, particularly things that relate to affordability and, uh, and uh, the cost of living. So even on you know, on those pocketbook issues, there's two other parties that the public seems to have a preference for over the liberals, depending on how you define the economy. Right. And I mean, although Trudeau government does get good grades for the handling of the pandemic, which I don't know how, because there's been more than enough documentation to show that they really dropped the ball and were very, um, you know, caught flat footed when this whole thing came about. Um, you know, they've made it very difficult. I mean, they become the government of, you know, here, bags of money. There you go. Everyone gets a bag of money. Everyone gets a bag of money. And, you know, the issues of deficit and debt and spiraling, you know, dollars going out the window. For whatever reason, people in this country don't seem to care about that. Will they ever care about that? Will that come into play at all during this election? Oh, but they do, Alex. I mean, depending on they which should, voters yeah. you speak to, they, they do. So in our, our most recent polling, when we looked at uh, what are the most important issues that you'd like leaders and parties talking about during the campaign, taxes are right at the same level as climate change. The, the real, I guess that the question that will be emerging over the course of this next six or eight weeks that we're going to be going through an election campaign is which of those things that we talked about are people going to be thinking about when they walk into the ballot box? And at the moment, it's not really clear. There's only one issue, actually two issues in in the top five or six 
that the liberals find themselves in the lead on. One of them is health care, which mm. tends to be a, a nonpartisan issue, mostly because, at the, especially at the federal level, because most health care services are delivered by the provincial governments. And the second one is um, uh, uh, performance on, on the pandemic, which they lead the other parties by, by uh, 24%. I mean, they have a really good lead on pandemic management. Uh, but that may be a product of the fact that nobody really is in a position to criticize them at the moment. Uh, simply because the other parties, I mean, the normal forms for being critical of what the government does are, are really not available to them. So once we get into an election campaign, you're going to see more equivalency between the government and the opposition parties, at least in terms of the level of coverage. And we'll see what happens to that 24 points. Uh, but if this election is about the pandemic and management of the pandemic, the government's in really reasonably good shape. If it's about anything else, they will have problems. Yeah, I mean, and the challenge for Aaron O'Toole is that he's just not been able to punch through the noise. And that's really tough for any opposition leader in the best of times. But then you add a pandemic where the prime minister is the only guy being seen and it's Im impossible, but he's smart. Um, he has improved his French a lot. He's been working to build the country, you know, the party back to more centrist uh, right than, than to the very far right. Um, but the bar is set so low for him that he may actually surprise a lot of people when the campaign starts. They say campaigns matter, uh, which could prove problematic for Justin Trudeau, because if Tool does better than people expect and Jagmeet Singh can chip away at the liberal fortunes, we got a campaign. Yeah, we certainly do. And, and you know, political campaigns, and national campaigns in Canada now are really about uh, the progressive vote more than the conservative vote. Uh, yeah. So if the progressive voters, and there's more of them than there are conservative voters, it's like a 60-40 mm -hmm. ratio. If progressive voters feel that there's two options uh, this time around, which is something that they didn't really feel in the last two elections, or uh, they decide not to show up because they think that there's no possibility uh, that the conservatives could, uh, could win the election, that's a real problem for the, for the Liberal Party because the Liberals... Um, in the last two elections, 2015 and 2019, really uh, um, were helped by greatly expanding turnout. So in 2011, um, when Stephen Harper won his majority government, turnout was only 61 percent. Uh, mm -hmm. In the last two federal elections, they were over 68. Yeah. So um, if people aren't motivated, uh, if progressive voters don't fear the uh, you know, fear the possibility of a conservative government winning the election, well, maybe they'll just go to the beach. I mean, we're uh, going to just be into the, you know, the dog days of, uh, of, uh, of summer at that point, you know, mid-September, if we help call the election uh, this Sunday, as is widely expected. Um, maybe they, they just won't be able to motivate the people that they've been able to motivate in the last two elections. Or maybe the wave four will, you know, be so nerve wracking to people. They'll say, you know what, I'll let someone else vote for me. But conservatives will go and vote. They'll get COVID. They will just go and vote. What are you watching for then uh, as far as an October surprise in September? Is there one? Could there be one? Yeah, there's always something that tends to, you know, captivate uh, the, the population around uh, of the, uh, the campaign. Obviously, the big thing that everybody will be looking for is the debates. Mm -hmm. and, and how the various leaders will perform in the debates. The, the last campaign, for example, really didn't take off until, um, uh, until the debates when Andrew Scheer, yeah. uh, first of all, had his, his difficulty in the French language debate. So we'll see how Aaron O'Toole does. But um, uh, the last uh, campaign, that was the one one could anticipate, which was the, um, which was the, uh, the debate performance. But it's those, those eruptions that occur from nowhere that, uh, that are the ones that tend to, uh, to knock campaign sideways. And in the last election campaign, obviously, it was, it was the blackface scandal. 
um, uh, and all the difficulties that uh, the, the, the prime minister experienced around that. Uh, you know, uh, Aaron O'Toole has a lot of opportunity in terms of uh, in terms of building uh, positive impressions because people's expectations are so low. And yeah. as you said, when if they get to know them, they may like them. But the problem that also goes along with that is that even the smallest little bit of negative information will take on a very, very heightened level of importance in terms of people trying to define Aaron O'Toole. So uh, he's going to have to be careful as we go through this campaign. And if Jagmeet Singh starts to get to uh, develop some momentum, um, and, uh, you know, we've seen this in previous campaigns uh, for the NDP, like Jack Layton did in 2011, there'll be a lot more scrutiny on him. So there's a yeah. lot of a lot of ups and downs, twos and fro's, all sorts of things that could happen over the space of the next period of time that could end up defining an election that hasn't been defined by the person calling it. Either which way you will be busy and we will be watching. So I appreciate your time. Daryl, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Daryl Bricker is uh, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. He does all our polling for Global and one of the reliable polls that I actually do follow. So we'll see what his numbers tell him. Also author of the uh, book Next. If you haven't read it, you should. It really is a required Canadian reading. My expectation is that Admiral McDonald uh, will remain on leave while we while we review this situation. The, uh, the position of Chief of Defence Staff must always uphold the highest standard uh, within the Canadian Armed Forces. All righty. That is Minister Harjit Sajjan saying he's got to uphold the highest standards of the Canadian Armed Forces, which begs the question, why did they allow the military to investigate the military instead of having the RCMP? But that is the system. And I'm not sure that the minister can actually stop Vice Admiral Art McDonald from getting his job back because the military's cleared him of sexual misconduct allegations. And uh, this is a, a guy who voluntarily stepped aside from his job in January so it could be investigated. And the military found there's not enough evidence to lay charges. And so unless uh, Minister Sajin's referring this on order to the RCMP, as far as this guy's lawyers are concerned, they have no right to keep him out of his job because he voluntarily stepped aside and he has every right to take the job back. Mercedes Stevenson is our Ottawa Bureau Chief, also the host of the West Block. And of course, this is an issue that uh, you have been covering extensively and exclusively now for months. Where's this headed? This uh, could get pretty ugly. Yeah, so this was uh, a note that, shall we say, caught senior political and military officials in Ottawa by surprise. Uh, that mm-hmm. Admiral Donald wanted to return to his job. And by the way, it's not actually up to him. Uh, well, they can't stop him from serving in the Canadian Armed Forces. They absolutely can decide who the chief of the defense staff is, because much like with the RCMP commissioner, it's up to the prime minister and nobody but the prime minister who gets to serve in that role. And the prime minister doesn't actually have to provide any kind of justification. You are not guaranteed any length of term. Um, and there's actually been some, you know, complaints from senior military officials I've heard. They've said, like, why will he not just replace McDonald now? You don't have to say it's related to the investigation, uh, but put somebody in there who's actually in charge. Because now you have a, a completely bizarre situation where you have two different people who are both saying mm-hmm. that they're in charge of the Canadian Armed Forces. But her McDonald saying it should be me. I want to return to my job. And you've got Wayne Eyre, who's the uh, acting chief of the defense staff, saying, no, I'm the one who's in charge. Uh, so... This is really not a good situation. It's not a good situation for the military in terms of command. It's not a good situation in terms of morale. 
Uh, and it's something that the government is going to have to figure out and take action on. But they also are operating delicately because they don't want to be sued by Art McDonald. Right. And, and with Jay's, you know, just days to um, an, uh, an election, um, you know, writ dropping, uh, you know, they don't need controversy right now. But the bottom line is, you know, this is a minister who had years to implement uh, different systems. Um, they could have, you know, taken away the military's power to investigate itself, which would have avoided a lot of these problems. Um, this could have been referred to the RCMP, and yet it wasn't. And so the minister is trying to say he's going to uphold the highest, you know, um, you know, mandate for the military, but it's his failure to act, which I think has brought us to this point in many ways. And it, so it wasn't referred um, to the RCMP. It also wasn't referred to a civilian prosecutor, which the military is supposed to be doing, according to the government. Remember, there was the report by Justice mm-hmm. Fish, the former Supreme Court uh, justice, who said that civilian authorities should be making decisions on these cases until victims' rights can be properly protected in the military, and that's not the case right now. So why would the case, which is the most sensitive, with the highest ranking official being the chief of the defense staff, not have been handed over? And there is a question about whether or not the military courts could actually even try him in this, because you have to have someone who outranks you on the court or who outranks the CDS. Who's going to try him? And so it's sort of surprising they wouldn't have wanted to hand this off because they ran such a high risk in this of being criticized. And whether or not they could actually try him, I can tell you that um, the reaction inside the military to how this has been handled um, and to Admiral McDonald announcing he wants to come back is like a bow wave over the morale. Because people are just kind of going, well, you come forward, first of all, um, you're watching the military investigate its own highest commanding officer. I mean, yes, they say the provost marshal is independent. He is. However, can you imagine any police force in which you would have a member of the police force investigating the chief? It wouldn't happen. Um, you bring in an outside police force. That isn't happening here. The government is committed to it, but it's still not happening. Um, and this is becoming a very serious issue for morale in the Canadian Armed Forces. And it's not just for women. We talk about all the women of the forces. Yep. Absolutely yep. for them. But there's lots of men, too. Men who this has happened to and men who are watching this and throwing their hands up in the air. One uh, very experienced uh, non-commissioned officer is very senior in a well-known Canadian regiment. Um, very well respected. The guy has served a ton of tours in Afghanistan, sent me an email tonight. He said, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. You know that scene in Zoolander where they talk with taking <laughs> crazy pills? That's what I feel like is going on right now. Like, how is this even a thing? Um, yeah. And so it really is, is a frustrating thing for, for people in the forces. The government continues to say they're taking action, but then we continue to see them not actually taking the action they said they would, or at least forcing the military to do so. Yeah, and not to mention what it does to the complainants who come forward. In this case, it was Navy uh, Lieutenant Heather McDonald, um, who served for 16 years and, and said, you know, a lot of this case was leaked out uh, and got out there in the public. It's complainants like her who have to end up uh, dealing with the fallout and probably a lot of other people saying, well, why would I bother going forward if this is what I'm up against? Um, and it's also not the only issue they've got. General Danny Fortin is also saying, I want my job back because he also feels like he was thrown under the bus. And so like, you've got a military in complete crisis, I think, created by a government that just keeps trying to put out political fires, throwing people under the bus. But then those people are coming back and saying, no, you can't do that. Well, and you know, to be fair, uh, these issues predate well the Trudeau government, but the Trudeau government's handling of it um, has yeah. been extremely poor in, in a number of situations. 
Um, and in the case of Heather McDonald, I talked to her today. I talked to her on Friday as well. Um, she's, of course, the woman who came forward with the allegations of sexual assault against Admiral McDonald. She told me she feels like she's been kicked in the stomach. She says, why would any woman come forward? If this is how it's handled, why would you come forward? What is the message here? Um, and furthermore, you know, she's allowed us, Alex, to disclose tonight on Global National, and it's up on our website as well, uh, the details of the sexual assault allegations against Admiral McDonald. And it was essentially that there was a party on a warship in 2010. She was serving aboard that Canadian warship. It was off in Greenland. There was uh, a lot of international dignitaries at this party from the United States, from Denmark, from Canada. Uh, and she says that a button popped off her shirt. It exposed her breast. Um, she says the commanding officer of that ship, the captain, uh, who she has enormous respect for, saw what was happening and was trying to protect her, kind of trying to block her from the room. And she says that at that point, um, Admiral McDonald grabbed that ship's captain's head and pushed it into her breast. And that the party essentially shut down after that. She went to bed. She says she never got an apology from Admiral McDonald. Nonetheless, uh, not going to be the last we hear of this, certainly, as the details come forward. I do appreciate you joining us here uh, in filling in the blanks. I know it's been a long day. Thanks, Mercedes. Thanks, Alex. We'll continue following that story and um, see where that takes us. In terms of the sentence, as I said, we're, we're very, very disappointed with that. The range I think we're looking at is 5 to 20 years. Um, so, you know, 11 years is a long time. And, uh, and that's, again, why we're going to have to just continue to work very, very hard to get him out. And certainly a lot earlier than that. Ooh. That is Canada's ambassador to China, Dominic Barton. And boy, does he inspire confidence. That is who I want fighting for me. He's the guy that's supposed to be the tough talker. He could get through to China. And uh, Mr. Barton has not yet accomplished much. He, he didn't even get access to Robert Schellenberg before he was sentenced to death. As I understand, he did attend the hearing for Mr. Spavor, who, as we know now, has been sentenced to 11 years in a Chinese jail or some kind of form of torture this regime decides he should get. And his sentencing also came with a deportation order, which I think most assume would mean he'd be sent back after serving his sentence. But of course, because the two Michaels are just pawns in a political game, their fate really depends on what happens with Meng Wanzhou's extradition hearing, which got officially underway today. And I suspect if China does not get what it wants, which is her release, then these men will pay an even steeper price. Shuvaloy Majumdur is a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, former director of policy to Canada's foreign affairs minister. It is great to have you along. Hi, Alex. Lots of uh, moving parts here. Uh, you know, the Prime Minister came out with I with a very feeble response, you know, talking about, you know, this unacceptable and unjust. And there is only so much we can do. There, there are diplomatic chains we have to go through. But, but at what point do we get tough, Shuv? Well, listen, I, the, the Prime Minister's had plenty of opportunity to get tough over the last years. Uh, we're now coming up on nearly a thousand days of... Uh, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrick in uh, false incarceration in China as an act of hostage diplomacy, as you've described here. Um, the the issue is that you know many commentators and analysts in Canada are waiting for the prime minister, for the the foreign minister, for the government to issue you know what Canada is going to do in the Indo-Pacific, what Canada is going to do about China. Nothing has come out over the last years, not because, in my view. 
that there are a lack of options or plenty of recommendations that the government can draw from from a variety of sources. The conclusion is, though, that they have chosen to only speak when it is politically compelling to look active with words at home and have actually done little to nothing in confronting the communist regime uh, for the rival that it is. And so poor, poor Michael Stavros is paying the price today. Um, the Chinese Communist Party clearly doesn't care what the government of Canada says to domestic audiences because it has not backed any of that up with action internationally. I, would like, I, I listed off a whole bunch of things that Mr. Trudeau could get, you know, could do. It's, you know, he, he could ban Huawei, which he was supposed to do years ago. Still not even a decision on that. He could uh, ban foreign nationals from coming into university. It wouldn't be fair to them, but it would send a message. Boycott the Olympic Games, even if we're the only ones to do it. Um, enact a Magnitsky sanctions. There are so many things we can and should have been doing, especially, and one thing that stu- stuck out to me today, Shuv, from uh, Mr. Garneau saying, we're going to work with our allies and build a coalition. Um, hello, should that not have been done years ago? I mean, Australia has been kind of on an island by itself saying, hi, help us over here. Th- these are things that should have been done a long time ago. Listen, in the United States, you have had both major American parties consistently draw a line around a position on China for seeing what it is. It's stunning to me that despite, you know, voices within the government's own caucus, its own liberal caucus that are sympathetic to drawing a, a, a similar line alongside our allies and being part, an active part of a coalition uh, to confront China's intransigence globally, uh, that, the, that the government, the foreign minister, the prime minister have failed to actually act in any of those things. You know, when I see them not making a decision in Huawei, not choosing to economically decouple uh, not just supply chains, but trade leverage from China, not uh, sanction Chinese communist officials for undermining Hong Kong or the genocide against the Uyghurs or recognition of Taiwan. Like There's a long list of things. When they're choosing not to do any of these things, what they are choosing to do is appease the Communist Party. Right. And I think that's what Beijing is hearing. Uh, and that's why I think that they feel uh, emboldened to be able to take these types of actions uh, in trying to manipulate our own system of laws that that we cannot compromise on. Yeah, they are the cat and we are but a mouse they are playing with. And, you know, I had Kevin Garrett on the phone uh, on the show last night. He was, of course, incarcerated for two years, accused of the same things. He got a sentence of eight years. And then two days after his sentence, um, he was taken out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, to Taiwan, uh, where he was reunited with his wife, Julia. There's a deportation um, order on this particular um, punishment. I'm not sure if that means anything, because I get the sense, and correct me where I'm wrong, um, their, their sentence, Michael Spavor's sentence, and certainly what Mr. Kovrig is giving could change depending on what happens with this extradition hearing. The Communist Party will lack no imagination to come up with a solution when it feels like it has uh, the incentives to make the decisions it should. And in order to, to, to take Beijing's attention, Ottawa needs to find a sense of fortitude when it comes to confronting that regime. I, I think that there will always be opportunities to revisit decisions in the Chinese system of laws, because as we all know, the system of law is actually quite weak. It is very subjective. It is not economically reliable, nor does it create sanctity around provisions for victims or due process. This is a kangaroo process. So if they need to make a decision, I, I don't believe that they will be encumbered by a lack of imagination to doing that. And, and, you know, the court process, um, you know, the prime minister so far has kept his hands off of it, as he should. It's the right thing to do. But ultimately, David Lametti will decide, um, you know, regardless of the court ruling, whether or not this woman is handed over to the United States. A lot of people are just saying, just give her, just get rid of her, send her back, whatever. It's not that simple. 
It's not. And really, you know, uh, I want to give credit to the prime minister on one side for having actually stood against a prisoner swap or to soften or water down our system of laws. Remember, Meng Wanzhou and Huawei are principally on trial in the United States. This is an extradition about a trial to a New York jurisdiction uh, for which Huawei itself was found to have been laundering money across Syrian front companies into Iran in violation of President Obama's Iran sanctions and regulations. Mm -hmm. This is a, a company that has an interest in controlling data rights around the world. Uh, they have a very strong interest in our own Arctic water by proposing an Arctic cable yeah. that would connect Europe and Asia. Uh, they're doing something similar across the Middle East and Africa. Like for them, they understand the resource and the potential that data has uh, to not just observe, uh, to steal, but also to control people. Um, and so, you know, this is a serious issue upon which the international rules-based system that we all keep hearing about it has to critically be preserved. And, uh, you know, in our system, in the American system, we believe in the rule of law and 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 it is it would be a profound injustice to the very system we're trying to do to preserve if we allow the Communist Party in Beijing to tear it apart. What do you suspect will happen next? I mean, I, I suspect that Mr. Kovrig will be sentenced after um, um, uh, decisions made on, on Meng Wanzhou. But again, um, all this can change on a whim because there's, there's no rules with China. No, you know what? And actually, Ottawa still has the opportunity to decide that it wants to take this on. You know, we're not caught between Beijing and Washington. We've always been on the side of uh, a Western order, a, a rules-based market economy system that has seen the world thrive, that has seen much of China act as its potential. Like, when, if Ottawa were to decide tomorrow, which they can, to take any measure of the decisions that we've just described over this discussion, yeah. uh, they would capture Beijing's notice as having said, you know what, enough we're decoupling, we're delinking, we see you for the yeah. rival that you are, and we're not going to let you, cow we're not going to let you bully us around anymore. I think that that could create the opening for a proper dialogue around how we can secure the freedom of Michael Kovrig, Michael Spavor, and perhaps see uh, uh, some sort of alleviation of the death penalty on Robert Schoenberg. That would take leadership. It would be nice to see some. Shuvalai, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Alex. Have a great day. And that is Shival Majumdar joining us from the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute. So we'll uh, watch that. You, of course, can listen to us Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.